You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Tuesday, and today you'll hear an episode from our Takeover series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to another episode of the Flip My Funnel podcast. Uh, as always, the, the one of the best privileges that I have is to have somebody take over one of the episodes. It actually is less work for me, quite frankly. So it's, it's a really cool thing. But as we started this big community, we're finding incredible podcasters who are running their own amazing experiential podcast. So Samir, who's one of the, the members of the big community, has his own podcast that he started. It's called Experience Business Podcast. So I invited him to join me so I can introduce you uh, to him and also for him to actually share what this podcast is about and what kind of people he's going to interview for you. So Samir, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sangram. Thank you so much. You know, I'm highly obliged. And to be very frank, I've, it's my pleasure and wonderful to be part of this Peak community. That's awesome, man. So tell us a little bit about your podcast that you have been running and what type of people are you interviewing on that for our community? Hey, you know, this is very interesting because I personally believe that every company should be the experience company because uh, people don't buy product. They don't buy services. They only buy the experiences. So the my podcast is about the experience business podcast, meaning Every business should focus on creating the experience. And in this podcast, I normally interview people and sometimes also solo where I talk about what are the strategies, what are the viewpoint of other leaders like CXOs, CMOs, CTOs to make their business uh, an experience business. That is fantastic, man. So let's go and like deep dive into it because Samir, you have above, I think about 10 episodes that you have graciously agreed to have it shared on the Flip My Funnel Takeover Tuesday and Thursday episode. So Samir, again, thank you for doing that. Information about you and your podcast is going to be in the show notes. Let's go. Thank you. Hey, everyone. In another episode of the Experience Business Podcast, your host, Samir Kumar Sa is with the two guests, uh, Kira Chernikovsky. I'm so sorry, Kira. <laughs> and Raj Kuchi Batla. And uh, today we are going to have a very interesting topic uh, in, in our episode uh, where we're going to talk about the effective marketing intelligence and the research for the product marketing. Because we know that, you know, in the current uh, pandemic situation, uh, it's obvious that message that we have to serve our customer in a much, much better way because uh, customers are now looking for uh, the brands who can understand them better. Before we start, right, I really quickly wanted to introduce Kira. Kira is actually someone who enjoys working with visionary executives to create cross-functional alignment between products, sales and marketing and so that the companies can focus on driving amazing results quickly, thus increasing revenue and profitability. So she's doing exactly that in her product marketing role in the B2B financial institutions in Canada. And previously, she also spent seven years marketing in fintech company out of Israel. So welcome, Kira. Thank you for having me. Now for the Raj, right? Raj has got a very interesting profile because he has close to 20 years of experience and he has worked with 
and educated senior business leaders on how to uncover their stakeholders insights in order to build more effective engagement strategies. Raj is actually from the US and has senior sales and consulting positions with a focus on brand and customer engagement strategy. And Raj has spent the last 15 years of his career in the strategic market research space, which has taken him from New York, New Jersey to Toronto, where he has worked for the largest media brand in Canada, global research consulting firms, built and ran his own strategic uh, insights consulting in, and he is now at the global head of research and insights for key media internationals. So all I can say that, you know, with over 20 years of experience in helping to map out and communicate the customer story, Raj has definitely the wealth of knowledge in how custom research uh, can be a driver to consistent and effective brand engagement strategies. So Raj, once again, uh, welcome in my show. Thanks, Samir. Nice to be here. Pretty interesting topic, Raj, because yes, uh, uh, today we see that how things are moving and how the customers uh, are actually looking at the brand, right? And it will be really interesting to have the conversation around the product marketing and the role of the market research. Let's start with Kira. Um, my question to you as a product marketing person, uh, what is the biggest challenge uh, that you face in the job today uh, as a product marketer? That's a tough question, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but it's easy for me to answer that because a couple of years ago when I moved from generalist marketing mm-hmm. role to the product marketing role, I realized how much harder it is to tell stories in the product space. Yeah. Uh, probably because like the visionary stuff, why we do what we do, all the cynic stuff is taken by the brand. And then what's left for product is features. Right, mm-hmm. and if you are lucky and you have a great, fantastic B two C product, that might be easier. Mm-hmm. But my specialty is financial services, be it startup or huge financial organizations. They're less fun compared to other consumer products, for example. Mm-hmm. And then we need to find this way to tell stories to the right people mm. in the language that they actually understand. Because the larger the organization is, from my experience, the more tailor it is from inside. Mm. And the more company-specific language we might be using, mm-hmm. and not necessarily our customers and prospects understand what we're trying to convey. And yeah. moreover, like moreover uh, I think internally, especially when you have a few products mm-hmm. in the same company, mm-hmm. those stakeholders inside the organization, mm-hmm. of course, they should be and are willing to promote their side of the thing. Mm. But for the customer, we should be coming as a unified front that is helping and not selling. And mm. that's my main problem. As we stated in the beginning, like the storytelling for the product marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, messaging something that's uh, very much important. I think the Raj would be the very right person because who has been always into the research uh, and working with the media uh, for quite long. Raj, uh, how do you think that the research uh, can help you choose the right messages? Uh, I I know for a fact that most of the companies and uh, all we talk about is the data. We ha- we have the data, but at some point of time, right, still in the marketing spe- spectrums, right, the marketers normally 
tend to choose the cognitive biases uh, way of taking a decision. What's your viewpoint in choosing the right research for the messages? Yeah, no, it's critical. I mean, I think that um, the first the first thing is really identifying stakeholders. Mm. Uh, I think that a lot of marketers have a tendency to be some, sometimes they, they can be a little bit myopic in the way that they're viewing who their customers are. Mm-hmm. I think that un- understanding the full spectrum of stakeholders is critical. Um, it, it's not just uh, targeting a brand's specific customers, but also their customers' customers to, to really understand who are the influencers, who are the drivers of these decisions. Yeah. Um, and as Kira mentioned, the, the storytelling is critical. Uh, I mean, it, it's critical in influencing audiences uh, as it pertains to a certain brand. Um, however, this, the stories themselves have to be insightful and they have to be referencing some sort of core belief. Um, and one of the challenges that, that marketers have is that it's, it's an issue of how to create consistency in their messaging. Yes. So research can play a great role in, in breaking through that. Um, they can, it can break through opinion, it can break through cognitive bias, it can break through noise. Um, it, it has a tendency to uh, sort of be the great equalizer um, in, in a lot of ways to, to get to the core of what the issue is. Um, in an unbiased way, if it's being done properly, um, you know, if the story is based on direct insights gathered from a specific target market, uh, you can craft a better cohesive message uh, that can consistently be disseminated across all of these media platforms that we have available to us today. You know, if, we, if you talk to marketers 10 years ago, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, they didn't have nearly the amount of assets at their disposal that they do today. So it becomes even more imperative that marketers look at um, how they can create consistency of message across all these different platforms. Mm. Um, and I think one of the best ways to do that is to be able to uncover and create a core group of insights that you can leverage uh, in, a, in a far more strategic way. And the audiences that are going to be absorbing this content and mm. are going to be engaging with this content mm. um, and, and receiving these messages are going to be easier to influence to a certain degree if they see that their messages are, are consistent, because if they like your brand, there's a good chance they're going to be engaging with it on all the various platforms that you're putting out. Um, so that's, I think that, that issue of consistency and credibility is critical. That's, that's yeah. more important. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, uh, okay. Uh, uh, I, I actually wanted to add up to Rajas because mm-hmm. what, he, what he's saying is super practical. Mm. Uh, what we have done a couple of years ago where I work is we have changed the marketing brief. Uh, marketing team is submitting to the agencies because agency uh, needs to be briefed and properly briefed. And when we actually edit research, uh, and we're lucky we have proprietary research, which reflects our customer audiences uh, across different you know, products or propositions, it enriched the brief so much that it became super obvious, mm-hmm. even for the creative agency, mm-hmm. which direction to take. Mm. So uh, there are also practical ways to integrate this research in a very early stage. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, it also fits all the internal stakeholders around the same table, I would say. Yeah. In fact, you know, I was about to come to the same uh, different question, uh, definitely, because it's very relevant. And this is what I see as a pain point uh, that many companies actually don't get it. That uh, That's my personal belief all the time is that whenever we try to do a market research or the marketing intelligence project that we have for the companies, I think having some third party company involved in doing this is much better idea because they will have a very independent viewpoint as compared to 
a company who is doing their who is having their own resources let's say involving data scientist guys for doing the independent competitive research about the product about the uh, about your um, your market and all uh, we, we will even if you have the data right uh, as an individual right you still favor your own things own circumstances right do you really think that what the, the way i am thinking and aligning is what your thinking is also that should we always outsource and market research work to someone else I think that it's, it's, it's a great question. I think that there is, uh, there's two ways to look at it. Yeah. I look at market research, there's, there's two main buckets. One is strategic insights. One is thought leadership research, right? Mm-hmm. Oh. So from a strategic insights perspective, I think both of them have the ability to mm-hmm. benefit from external research teams um, as well as you know, leveraging, obviously, uh, the internal folks who, who understand their brands really, really well. Okay. Um, but there is a tendency for internal research teams to take their direction from marketing, uh, from, from the marketing leads. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is there potential for uh, some level of bias? Absolutely. Um, is there a potential for um, focusing on brand strength mm-hmm. and uh, versus, you know, potentially what are some of the pitfalls and challenges that are out in the marketplace? Absolutely. I think leveraging external research firms who don't necessarily have a skin in the game one way or another and whose objective should be to just tell the truth uh, mm-hmm. in, in a very honest way, um, I think has a tremendous amount of value, which is why you have so many you know, extremely successful third-party uh, external market research teams that are out there. Um, I do think that uh, when you are looking at insights for content dissemination, mm-hmm. uh, for thought leadership, for exposure, uh, when you're building white papers, when you're sharing social media strategy and you're, and you're putting insights out there, there is credibility in using third-party uh, research organizations to execute that, that, that data. Uh, yes. I always use this example when I talk to clients. There's a difference when J.D. Power comes out and says that Toyota's Camry is, is, is the best sedan on the marketplace versus Toyota coming out and saying that yeah. their Camry is the best Sedan on the marketplace, right? Yes. That third-party credibility is has a tremendous amount of value. Now, is every third-party market research firm exactly the same when it comes to credibility? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. They're, 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 you have to be discerning in who you choose and, and who you work with. Um, but I do think that there is a, a lot of value in, in leveraging folks who have seen it being done differently or uniquely outside of your company, within your competitive space, and within in other industries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had the benefit of working for very large market research firms and building my own who've worked across varied group of, of industry verticals. And you learn a lot. You know, if you're working in financial services, you can pull information, insight strategies into a healthcare space, um, into a legal space, you know, uh, into yes. an HR space. So I, I think that there, there is value in that. Um, and you, you avoid being really myopic in the way that you kind of go, go about your strategy building process. Good point. Good point, you know, Raj. Uh, so, uh, next question I have with uh, Kira, and of course followed by Raj, is Kira. If in case I have to ask you, like, uh, what information do you think you need to gather to tell those stories, and how you get that? How it can be more effective uh, in in product marketing uh, in context. Yeah, and thanks for asking. And my, quest, my answer would be directly related to what Raj covered. 
mm-hmm. now because what I, as a product marketer, am looking for is for the truth. And ideally, that should be clean of bias, mm-hmm. definitely. And uh, I, as a marketer, if I second drudge, I have multiple sources of research. So Raj mentioned media, media consumption. So mm-hmm. you go to the agency, you collect information, which is not necessarily from your space, but it can be from other spaces, but in the same location or same target companies if we're talking about B2B. Then mm-hmm. you have internal data, your CRM, your other data sources, depending on how the organization is built. And of course, third party market research, which comes into play with those other two uh, metrics. And there has to be someone internal who knows the customer and mm-hmm. the product really well to actually mm-hmm. combine all those and verify uh, what the ultimate truth is, what is that we're going to uh, And this is why it's also important what you are looking for, what information you are looking for, and then if uh, actually complies with how you're looking for that. So I would say for product marketing, first, you need to know everything about the product. Mm-hmm. What yes. your product does. Correct. What does it do? Like what, what are its features and what problem it solves or multiple problems? Why they have created this product? Uh, then definitely the competitive space, how your product compares to other uh, products in the market. Mm-hmm. And that can be on the like quantitative and pricing and anything like that side as well as on the qualitative, if that's related to service, for example. Mm-hmm. Then um, the larger the organization is, the more expectations different stakeholders have around the product and its uptake. So you'd better know and talk to everybody to align to the expectations because yes, you have to know the truth, but in order to progress and execute on something, you yeah. have to manage your stakeholders really, really well. And sometimes it uh, may be challenging. And then of course the customers, what the customers are looking for, because from my experience, the customers don't always know what they want. If they yeah. knew what the solution is, they would have found us probably. They can articulate their problem and you need to ask those smart questions to unlock what exactly lies, you know, at the depth of their challenge so that you could collect other information and provide the proper solution for them. Yeah, I think, uh, I think, uh, I think, you know, I, I have a different point of view. When, when you said, right, you, when you mentioned, right, that customers actually do not know what exactly they want. I think here, uh, I would say that many times, you know, when we ask a question, right, uh, maybe you will get an answer what they, what they actually do not do. Yeah, what they actually do not do. So many times, you know, there's always a disconnect, right? What, what you say and what you do. So I think the key is something, uh, watching the behavior. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, and and like going deeper, going with yeah. that why and what, and and not not being afraid to ask. Yes, and we all have different tools to ask. And the last thing I always ask about previous performance: what has been done before? Before I arrived to this organization, what worked, what didn't work? Because I I want to be the last person to step like uh, to to reinvent the wheel. Not yeah, effective. definitely. Raj, do you have to say something? I mean, you want to add something? Uh... Uh, yeah, I think that I think that the 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 challenge when you're building any of these market research strategies, and I've been in mm. the room with, with with senior executives, uh, you know, running these sorts of exercises, is that it's almost like herding cats to a certain degree, right? Okay. There, there's there's an unending amount of metrics that you can track 
um, and, 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 and sub-segments of, the, of your customer base that you want to go after. Mm-hmm. But you have to be really uh, strategic in, in, in prioritizing them and creating some level of hierarchy. Um, so typically when I, when, I, when I build programs for my clients, you know, what I, what I, in an ideal world with an unending budget, and I know how challenging that is, especially these, in these days, is that I look at it almost like a, a fall quant qual strategy. Uh, so okay. initial, initially what you'd like to be doing is, you know, trying to get an understanding from internal stakeholders or potentially external stakeholders uh, in what types of uh, insights this program is supposed to build. You know, what are some of the objectives that you're trying to get? Almost do a, uh, you know, a, a focus group, if you will, in, mm. advance, in advance of running any, any high depth uh, research to really get an understanding of, of, of what the customer needs are, what is the short and long-term goals of, of, of what you're trying to accomplish and how the research can, can, can fuel them, uh, what are some of the high-level issues that you want to deep dive into. Uh, one of the exercises I always do in these sessions with clients is, especially if they're looking to leverage this, uh, any research for content generation or, or, or uh, for media exposures, Tell me what the five headlines you would want this research to actually say, right? Mm. So by, by reverse engineering the process a little bit, tell, tell me what you want the output to be. What you're essentially doing is creating a series of hypotheses that we're mm. going to test. So you want to test them and, and either support or refute them. And either way, you're going down a path that actually has some level of um, direction. So once you go through this exercise, the next phase is uh, to do a, a, a larger quantitative analysis. Right. Mm. Look at look at a study that is uh, sorry. Look at a audience that is quite varied. Uh, understand exactly who the the, the subsegments of this audience is. Mm. Run a quant survey, and then when you pull that information on the back end, you'll be able to have a really really good detailed view of what the uh, the, the 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 engagement is, what the brand perception is, what the behaviors are, and now all of a sudden you have this core group of insights that you can sort of start building your strategy off of. And then what's really critical is ownership, right? The, the, once you actually have all this information, the next thing is to bring in stakeholders who are going to be impacted by this, this research to drive their strategies. And in, in a very um, clear way, overlay and outline all the research that was collected and say, first tell me what you think this means. We have a perspective as researchers to evaluate and say what we think it is. But you're yeah. closer to the brand and you have an emotional tie to the customers, right? That's yeah. less so for us. So you tell us what, what you think this, these insights mean, why these segments are saying what they're saying, why mm. that there is a significant variance for metric A versus metric B versus metric C uh, within any one of these groups. And then what it ends up happening is you'll start seeing that the stories themselves start coming to life a little bit. People who are experts in the space, so like Kira mentioned, people who are product, project managers, product managers who understand their product really well will either be like, oh, I knew it, or oh my gosh, I, I didn't know that my customers felt this way about my brand. What, how can we pivot? How can we react in a way that's going to be positive? So that's, I think that, that, that is, is sort of critical, that qual, quant, qual um, strategy. Um, and I think that the insights gathering techniques themselves are, are, are really important. I think survey bias is rampant. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, the trick to building any, any quantitative survey is to ask, direct and indirect questions, ask a question multiple different ways, because when you ask it um, in a very obvious way, you'll most likely get a very obvious response back. Yes. So you want to be able to check, you want to be able to check that. Um, and there's tricks to do so. 
Um, and the combination of, of this, uh, like I mentioned, of qualitative and quantitative initiatives are critical. Um, and, but however, you're gonna, you really need to know uh, if you have a good representation of perspectives in your, that, that which, you, which you're going to be assessing. Um, the heart of the insights really lie in segmentation. So uh, rarely does a one-size-fit-all approach work, uh, especially in the era now where we're seeing so many uh, media avenues and engagement avenues uh, that uh, brands are, are, have, have, the, have, the, have at their disposal to mm -hmm. engage with their customers. You mm -hmm. need to make sure that you have a relatively targeted approach for each one of these. And the only way to do that is to make sure that you have a really strong, robust, uh, quantitative research strategy. Uh, Kira, you wanted to add something? Yeah, I actually wanted to hone on one point that Raj mentioned. It's this, I call it closed-loop feedback. Ah. So, uh, so how the research is presented back to the stakeholders, uh, because if it's just a presentation that's sent back, it doesn't mm. And even if a research agency goes through the presentation and the speaking from the slides, that does not help a lot. So mm -hmm. I see different outcomes from different uh, research agencies, and uh, I know that there are different ways to convey that. <laughs> yeah. Like just speak uh, everybody around the table, ask them what it means, and then provide your point of view is so important because, like, we usually, like on our team, we usually ask for raw data as well because you can get sometimes that explanation from the sound bite. Mm -hmm. Actually, the graph doesn't tell you. So that was a new aspect for me that Raj mentioned, and uh, I just confirmed it's very important. Yeah, that, yeah, absolutely, absolutely right, absolutely right. Okay, now see, uh, I I get what you guys are saying, so. Let's assume that we have done all the amazing work of uh, what Raj mentioned about qualitative and quantitative initiatives uh, and those things, right? How do you turn uh, this into uh, actually the campaign communication assets? If in case I have to speak about external communication or internal communication, whatever. How do you, uh, uh, Raj? Yep. Yeah, I think that, well, there's two things, right? You're, you're going to have external communications, which, which, you know, white papers, blogs, mm -hmm. uh, advertorials, uh, potentially editorial content, custom reporting. Um, you know, when you're doing those exercises, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, you know, it's really good to have a, a good sense of what you would ideally like to see that content look like. Mm -hmm. You need to be really clear in outlining what those headlines could be. Um, yeah. and, and make sure that, you know, not every um, custom research study is going to be the ideal for all of your content. So you mm. want to make sure that you are very targeted in your objective of what type of uh, questions you want to ask to feed what type of content. So for example, you know, if you're looking for a social media marketing strategy, mm. you're not going to have the ability to leverage a, a tremendous amount of depth uh, in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a, a very long uh, quantitative study. You, know, you mm. need to get quick headlines. You need to be able to create something that looks good in an infographic. That's something that, that, that you can tweet about, you can throw it in, 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 in an Instagram post, um, something that's sort of quick and digestible and, and really hits the point. That's a very different uh, survey uh, versus if you are going to build a 10, 15, 20 page report that you're going to be selling as a custom uh, you know, consulting document or, or what have you 
out to the industry or, 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 or white paper, um, where you have the ability to, to really deep dive into a series of core issues, do a hyper-segmentation, run significant analysis, have multiple charts and a lot of write-up about it. That's another different survey altogether. So I think understanding what your um, output really is going to be is critical in determining what your research strategy is. Um, and like I said, I mean, I think that I always like, I always like reverse engineering the process. I always like knowing what I think the headlines are going to be because you need to understand what your hypotheses are so that you can support or refute them, uh, which I mentioned earlier. I think that's a critical, critical step. Um, and if you can do that effectively, what ends up happening is you create more efficient studies, right? And they build upon, they build upon each other because think of it this way. I spent the last, uh, 10 years of my life, uh, working with media companies and publishers and editors. And the first thing I ask them when, I, when, when we engage is, show me your editorial calendar. Let me know what your stories are going to be over the Most next don't have it months. even. No, most even don't have yeah. it. <laughs> well, that, and then, so if they don't have it, then we can actually help deliver that. Right? And it's very, we, it's very strange that, you know, when the, uh, Raj is saying that the, you should be very clear about the objective, right? But <laughs> the point <laughs> is that people are not clear about what exactly they want in most of the right. cases. Right. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. The nice thing is that, that it's a good driver. That's what, so there's two ways of looking at it, right? Does, how does the research fit the story? Yes. Right? So we create these storylines. How does the research fit those stories? That's one way to approach it. Mm -hmm. uh, the reverse is how does the research um, drive what the stories will be? So if you're in a situation where you don't know what your six-month strategy is for content mm -hmm. delivery, then let's run the study up front. Now we have all of these insights that we have gathered. And then you can determine how you want to roll them out over the next six months, right? Both of those are effective ways to kind of mm -hmm. get your message out. But the most important thing in either one of those uh, scenarios is that you're eliminating as much bias from the, from the process as possible. You know, whatever you're conveying, whether it's, it's um, uh, predetermined or mm -hmm. uh, whether it's, it's being built off of the research, are both going to be as effective and driving your message home with as little bias as possible because it's based in your audience insights. Cool, Raj. I mean, that's, that's I think, really, really insightful. Uh, 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 it's absolutely necessary what you mentioned, right? It's definitely... Uh, so, Kira, uh, what do you say about creating the materials, especially in this aspect, right? Uh, for the external communications or internal communications. Yeah, totally. Um, in these days, when... Mm moved online mm -hmm. overwhelming you know noise and amount of information yes so what i figured out you'd better try to do something different not necessarily better especially if you're selling a product in a commoditized space mm -hmm. so you have to find that driver that attracts attention of your potential customers or even, you know, your customers that you are trying to upsell or cross-sell. And what Raj mentioned, data can be very, very supportive there. From mm -hmm. our we even use, leverage data from reports when we are sending event invites or webinar invites. Because if you throw some data point, which you know resonates with your set of customers, that does the work. So different. And if that's based on the data or information which is relevant to that specific segment of your audience, that's just brilliant. And I think it's a very strong driver as well for improving your internal 
communications and stakeholder network management. Because we all know that marketers are not necessarily good at marketing what they do, right? So sometimes we just go and do whatever we are talk to or asked to. That's where going back to that conversation about bias. But here, if you do and leverage this, this is right. So you are the one gathering all the stakeholders around the table. You're asking them about what they need. You help them understand and go through that like forest of information. And mm. then also look that back. You explain to them what it means, what you as a marketer, as a product marketer, are going to do with that. And that creates that you know leverage of communication before, during, and after the campaign. And then mm. for what you are capable of how that's helpful, they can quantify that and attach the KPIs and measurements to, to what marketers do, which I think is a very critical point, again, these days when the budgets are not as stable as they were. Okay, so if in case I have to ask you, like what, what should be the few success metrics uh, 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 that the company should choose uh, for a good, successful uh, market research projects uh, for uh, for of course the product marketing what should be the right success metrics kpis a company should choose or focus on i think that you know it's it's a good question i don't i don't know if there's uh uh a single answer that that mm. that meets everyone's needs i think that it it really is dependent on the organization itself uh i i think that the most the most important thing is to have a really strong hold of what your baseline is mm. you know i think a lot of organizations they don't uh, they, they have some idea, but I think it's, it's, it's either being done in an inconsistent way. Um, mm. and it's hard to track against, but I think the critical thing is what is my, uh, uh, customer perception metrics, um, and value metrics now today. Um, and then if we had identified that as your baseline, then we can say, okay, well, where are we deficient? Uh, where are we excelling? And then how can we improve scores across the, the, the spectrum and then track that over time. Mm. Uh, and, I, and I think that it, it sounds uh, quite obvious, um, but you'd be surprised at how many people actually do it. Um, and I think that there's two, um, there's, there's, there's two ways to look at it. One is sort of on the external side, mm. um, so customer's perception of your brand. Um, but I think what's also critical is that there is this, you know, we talk about internal communications. I think it's critical to get a good assessment of how, uh, internal team members are perceiving their organization's success um, and how internal team members are uh, creating their own ROIs. I, I know that research in a lot of ways plays as a sales, it feeds into sales and marketing strategy. You need to make sure that whatever messages are being created uh, for internal salespeople or, or customer focused people uh, or marketers to push out to the audience, they need to be simple. They need to be easy to understand. I think one of the problems that a lot of researchers have is that, you know, they have a tendency to, to live in this data world and they, mm. make, they make the assumption that everybody understands this stuff. And one of the benefits that I've had in my career is that I work with really, really smart data wonks and I'm not one of those people. Um, I've come from the marketing space. So I have the ability to a certain degree to kind of translate, mm. if you will, um, some of the, 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 the really detailed uh, market research that is created from, from, from team members of mine who are exceptional to what they do, um, to folks that have no idea about what the, the nuances are or what the nitty-gritty details are of, of 
how this data is impacting them. Um, so I think that that's, that's, I think, a critical thing to make sure that from a sales perspective, mm. um, from an engagement perspective, for your internal and external stakeholders, keep it simple, keep it short, keep it digestible. Um, you know, we need to know on a very high level what are one or two or three key drivers in changing behavior right. and how can we leverage them uh, right. to, as, a, as a strategy. Um, and I think that, that if companies that do that well mm. are, I think, are, are better positioned for success than those that, that struggle with. Okay. So Raj, again, I have another question because uh, I feel like here uh, many times we are, uh, I would say the bombarded with a lot of success metrics the, as a marketer, right? we tend to have, let's say multiple success metrics uh, defined. Uh, how do you think someone should prioritize those metrics? Yeah. Uh, uh, at least uh, how many, how many number of uh, those success metrics should be first prioritized according to you? Yeah. I think that the idea, like I said, you need to be able to do, um, some level of analysis to the end customer uh, mm. to determine what those priorities are. Once again, it's the person that's prioritizing them can't just sit there and say that here's what I think the first three are, and here's what I think the next three are, and here's what the mm-hmm. third. It, it comes down to if you're dealing with the sales organization, then do some uh, internal stakeholder uh, interviewing on the on, on a broad spectrum of these stakeholders not just senior level stakeholders, but also mid-level and junior and get an understanding of what they think are the most important metrics that's going to drive their success. And then you analyze all of that information and you can then take an educated guess, uh, much more than an uneducated guess on, mm. how, to prior- on how to prioritize. Because those, those success metrics are going to be very different than if you're dealing with people in the marketing department or the legal department or you know, obviously on the customer side. So I, there is no specific list that says here are the top three here are the next three they're all going to be very very targeted to the audience that you're trying to influence you know so i once again I, it goes back to the fact that you just need to be really mindful of tapping into the end user whoever that is either that's going to be someone that within the organization or outside the organization to really get a good understanding of what those success metrics should be and then and then you can create a hierarchy then you can prioritize Cool, cool. So in this case, can you, do you think that, you know, the organizations, when this come, come up with something called softer metrics, uh, does it really help in skyrocketing the ROI? Um, I think that, I, I think that it's, it's skyrocketing is a loaded word. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't think, I, I don't know of anything that's going to be skyrocketing ROI um, mm-hmm. immediately. That, that, kind of, that type of thing is usually takes a, a significant amount of time if it's done properly. Um, I think that there are hard metrics like sales data, like the number of, uh, of, of communications that, 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 that people put forward. Um, I think that when you're doing uh, any type of uh, marketing research that, that talks about brand uptick, uh, awareness, usage, these are, these are sort of hard metrics, right? Mm. Um, I, I think they're important, but I think that those metrics haven't changed in 50 years. Um, mm. So the idea that we keep doing it the same way because it's been done. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that there are campaigns and there are organizations where it plays well. I think there are some that it, it may not. Um, I think softer metrics um, like influencers, um, mm. you know, who are, who, are, who are the folks that are really influencing your decision making um, is critical. I mean, I have a, uh, an example of a project that I ran years ago, which um, was for an agency here in Toronto 
who was trying to understand uh, uh, technology adoption behaviors in the Canadian household. So what they wanted to get a sense of is, you know, they had a couple of hypotheses that they were playing with. Hypothesis number one was that the more technology devices that a, that, that a family has, the less connected they are to one another. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other hypothesis was the older, the younger the parents uh, in a household are, the more technology that they will um, uh, purchase, yeah. right? So if you have a 30-year-old dad versus a 50-year-old dad, uh, you're going to have far more tech in the household of a 30-year-old dad than a 50-year-old dad. And if you yeah. have a household that's got, you know, five iPads and, and, and three gaming consoles and four laptops and all that, uh, you're going to have families that are going to feel disconnected because everyone's going to be on their own devices. Both of those hypotheses were absolutely uh, uh, initially obvious. We were like, of course. I mean, when we're, we're going to do the research, but of course that's going to support both of those hypotheses because it just makes sense. Hmm. And when we completed the research, they both were wrong. And we were shocked. And we were shocked because, A, what ended up happening when we, when we ran the, the, the insights and, and ran the analysis was that the influencer of technology purchasing had nothing to do with the age of the parent. It had everything to do with the age of the eldest child. So if you had a 13-year-old in your household and the father was in his mid-30s, or yes. you had a 13-year-old in their household and the father was in his mid-50s, same level of technology. Then... So that, so that was an important point because as we, we presented to a bunch of marketers, they, they all sat back in their chairs and went, oh my God, we had no idea who the influencer was. We had mm. no idea because we were always focusing on the, 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 per- the person who's actually physically putting their credit card down to buy these things versus the person that's actually influencing that, that decision making, right? Um, and that was a great example of not understanding who Your the customers really was, right? Uh, the other thing that came out of the research is, like I mentioned, is that the more devices you had in your household actually brought people closer together, which was also surprising because the way that this technology has now evolved over time, unlike when we were growing up, uh, you could have an entire family sitting in a living room all on different devices physically together. Mm. And that made them feel closer together. And that was impossible 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Mm. Um, and so when you're looking from an advertising perspective, uh, you need to know that you're going to be, seen, you're going to be able to reach multiple members of, 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 of a family in this, that are all going to be in the same room. And the whole program ended up being called the digital living room. Um, yeah. So it just gives an ex- it's just one example of how it's, it's critically, critically important to understand who the influencers are. Um, yeah. and, and softer metrics to a certain degree will get you there versus harder ones. Mm. So Kira, you know, whatever Raj has explained so far uh, is awesome. So do you think that because you work a lot with uh, even the mid-sized companies as well, right? Uh, so do you think it is also applicable for the smaller companies, smaller firms who are tightening the budget? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And actually, I thought on the metrics, I have a very simple answer mm-hmm. because product marketing is usually measured by ROI mm. and that your job to figure out how you're going to achieve that. And mm. even yet, you work with finance departments, you work with your data team, with your office, whatnot. Mm. Uh, but uh, it can be, you know, so uh, expanding share of wallet of the same customers or bringing new customers uh, that buy like new product or, or becoming your like multiple uh, product buyers. But what I see also on the branding side even, 
we have to start attaching ROI to even the brand metrics and probably to software metrics as well. Mm. score, be, be that the um, brand awareness measurement or brand familiarity, and product actually plays a great role in that brand familiarity aspect because product marketing is the reason to believe. So it's good people know your brand, but they need to be in the end of the day choosing your brand. And that's where I think product marketing can play better together with the research. And um, on this software metrics side, I think smaller companies with, with tinier budgets might be even more open to that mm-hmm. because they pick and choose what they research anyways. And if they're taking through that process smarter, like by a professional, by a third party, they would probably achieve those, you know, three things that are bang on rather mm-hmm. than wide and trying to be everything for everyone. And we, we covered that one size fits all that doesn't work anymore. Okay. So I think it's education what research can do for product marketing and for different companies. There is not enough understanding in the market. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, so now now coming to the end of this podcast because it was, I think, this is a really lovely conversation. So I would just start with you. If in case you have to just summarize the key takeaways, uh, Kira, right? I would just start with you. Just quickly, I mean, what do you want for this audience of my podcast, right? Those are listeners and viewers uh, would be uh, for you as a final key, key takeaway. So from the product marketing perspective, focus on storytelling. Mm-hmm. And of research into that because of the depth of your story that it can bring. And by the way, research can also sparkle new ideas and bring those aha moments mm-hmm. that will differentiate your product marketing from in that competitive space you're at. That's yeah. my main And over to Raj. Raj, what do you want to say? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I completely agree with the Kira just said. I think, I think marketers are are looking for new ways to engage their customers on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. Sales, sales teams are trying to find, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the silver bullet, if you will, to, to influence their customers uh, to, to purchase and engage with their products. I think that um, audiences are becoming far more sophisticated now. Um, they don't like to be advertised to directly in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they like knowledge. They like to be educated. Uh, they like to be uh, engaged, uh, interestingly, in an interesting way. Um, and I think that storytelling through uh, insights uh, and research is a great way to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked with, with, with hundreds of brands over my career, uh, and, I've, and I've seen good, smart brands really leverage um, you know, identifying what the, what the right story is for the right audience through the right uh, asset, right media asset and vehicle. I think that if you can figure that out, that formula out, um, you're going to be successful. Um, and I do think that leveraging third-party uh, external teams who, who've seen it differently um, is an asset, um, mm-hmm. and you shouldn't shy away from it. Uh, I think that that's, that's, uh, engaging them is, 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 is going to be very, very helpful to, to you as a marketer. Uh, but yeah, I think stories are critical, but engaging stories, interesting stories, uh, insightful stories um, are the most critical, um, and and knowing how to build them and work with uh, the right people to to craft them that, that focuses directly on your brand is uh, is sort of the, the formula for success. Okay, 
uh, I think Raj and Kira, you both of you made definitely good point for the audiences and the listeners, right? Uh, definitely the my key, uh, I mean, my key takeaway from the session is definitely that, you know, we really not need to know that what exactly what we want, uh, be very clear in the objective. And once we know that, right, what is that we want to achieve? Uh, I think the effective storytelling telling is definitely going to work out only when, when we know exactly the clear objective. And as Raj mentioned that, you know, the clear segmentation of our audience, like what kind of audience that you want to target to, what messaging that we want to have. And as Akira pointed, right, we also need to have a clear understanding of our own things, own assets, meaning our own product. Uh, what is its offering? Which kind of audience it actually resonates well? Uh, and uh, having just a 360 degree view of your customer, their clear segmentation and mapping your product offering will uh, help a lot. And of course, data should be uh, considered, not your cognitive biases uh, is something very much important. So thank you so much, Raj. Thank you so much, Kira, for this lovely conversation. And you guys were really insightful. Once again, thank you so much for having uh, just coming on the show and giving your precious time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.